So this week, we're continuing our series called We Will Serve the Lord. And so we started this series a number of weeks ago, and then last week we started looking at two passages, Joshua chapter 24 and then Romans chapter 15. And so I had intended on preaching six principles to you about what makes an effective ministry to where some of the well, all of these are principles that I use here at Fellowship of the Rockies have used for a number of years, and so you'll get kind of the heart of our church. If you're new to our church, if you're first weekend in our church, then this will help you understand some of the guiding principles that we've used. And so, as you know, if you were here last week, I intended to preach all six, but we just like totally ran out of time, and I only made it through three, and so we're gonna, well, I'm going to finish that up this morning. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn Joshua chapter 23, Romans chapter t- four, uh, 15 as we walk through this together. So here's what, just a, just a recap, uh, so that we're all on the same page, and then we'll, we'll, get, we'll catch the last three here in just a second. So Joshua was about ready to pass away for the context. He got up in front of the people. He, it was his last speech. It was his last encourage. He had a burden for them because Joshua carried burdens. And, and when he, he'd get a burden, he'd release that burden when he'd speak to a group of people because he loved them and he cared for them. And so this is what he said in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. He said, Thou, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. So transparency and faithfulness, authenticity and faithfulness, and others be real, don't be a religious phony and all of that other stuff. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and just serve the Lord. So now you see twice he's encouraging them to serve the Lord. And if it is evil, which we learned last week, that's a Hebrew word, raha, that means uh, harmful, unpleasant, not helpful, injurious. And so what he's saying is, if it seems harmful to you or not helpful or unpleasant to you to serve the Lord, fine. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then you're just going to serve someone. So choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. In other words, don't let society, don't let culture influence you. He says, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I can't control any other house. I can't control any decision anybody else makes. But I just want you to know, as far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So last week, we looked at three principles. Just real quickly, in review, we looked at three principles. Uh, The first one is this. that If you're going to have an effective ministry personally and corporately as a church, the first thing is this. You have to believe the best in one another. You want to stand out in society? You want to stand out in the workplace? You want to stand out in the community? Then learn just to believe the best. And there's, there's some people that just believe the worst in everybody, right? And our country has lost all civility. And so what Paul was saying is, and, and what Joshua was saying is, is talking about is this issue. You just believe the best in one another. Joshua, one of the things that I respect about Joshua's ministry, Joshua never became cynical. He never became bitter. He went through hurt. He went through pain. He went through disappointment. But he never became cynical and bitter. He always believed the best in them. fact is, even this scripture, he really believed the best in them, that they would make the right decision. The Apostle Paul. I mean, out of leading and hurts and pains, and, and, and you just see his life to the end of his ministry. He had more gratitude for people than he ever had. He understood the power of saying thank you. He understood all of that early in his ministry. He didn't value that so much. Later in his ministry, Romans chapter 16, he dedicates a whole chapter of just gratitude and believing the best in people. So the first thing, if you're going to have an effective ministry, you've got to believe the best in others. The second thing is this. All effective ministry is based on God's grace. When you look at Scripture, you realize that God used some very imperfect people in some very dramatic ways. And all of those men and women that he used in dramatic ways held 
fast and strong to his, to his word. And they understood that this issue of grace and the power of grace. The third principle that we looked at last week was this, that all effective ministry is just built on his word. In other words, the platform for ministry, the foundation for ministry, the foundation for the church is, is just his word. And you look at Joshua's life, and Joshua held strongly to his word. Listen, let me tell you something. Just like Joshua that day that held fast to his word, that says, I don't know about you, and I don't know how you're going to respond, but I just need you to know, as far as me and my house, we're serving him. In other words, Joshua held so strongly to his word, he was willing to stand alone. Listen, let me tell you something. If you are not willing to stand alone, you will never hold fast to his word. And there are times, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in school, whether it's in a neighborhood, whether it's in community, that, that you're going to have to, if you're going to stand on his word, there are some times you're going to have to stand alone. And cut, cut across the grain of culture... In the grain of popular opinion, if you worry what everybody's going to say about you and what everybody's going to think about you and you want to be popular, then you will never, never, never stand alone. But when you look at Scripture, you look at men and women that God used greatly, there always came that time that they just had to make a stand. They just had to stand alone regardless of what their friends said, regardless of what family said, regardless of what culture said. You see, Joshua understood the power, the stewardship of influence. And every one of us, and we will look at that later, every one of us has been given a cer certain amount of influence. And Joshua understood what it meant to steward the influence that God had given him. And so when he stood up in front of a group of people that he had great influence over, he led them. There's people that you have influence over that maybe ask you for advice and ask you for encouragement or, or your opinion, or, or you know whether it's a family member or a husband or a wife or, or someone that you work with or a best friend. You know you have influence in their life. Have you ever stewarded that influence for him? Have you ever pushed them closer to God? Have you ever witnessed to them? Have you ever encouraged them? Have you ever told them the hope that they have in his word or what his word or your relationship with him has done for you? So now we're all on the same page. So the fourth principle is this of an effective ministry. Effective ministry is operated for God's glory. Effective ministry is not operated for our glory. In fact, is Joshua, when you look at Joshua's life, you realize that Joshua never appeared. And, and you can read his life very quickly in the scriptures. And when you read his life, you read his biography that's in the scriptures, start to finish, you realize that, that Joshua really appeared not to be really concerned about building his own reputation. Joshua never really seemed to be concerned about about making sure everybody understood his accomplishments and gaining recognition because of his accomplishments. Because, see, Joshua understood that God will take second place, will not take second place in anyone's life. Joshua understood that it was his glory and for his glory is a reason he did what he did. See, God does not, God does not get glory by making your plan succeed. A lot of people, that's how they live their Christian life. They're really not following Christ. They're asking God to follow them, and then they'll just make their decisions, and they'll make their plans, and then they ask God just to bless whatever decision I made. Just help it to turn out right. See, God doesn't get any glory in that. What God gets glory in is when men and women understand that all that they do and all that they say is for His glory. And they accomplish his will, or he accomplishes his will through them so that people can sit around and say, that, that had to be God. Man could not have done that. They're, they, they're not that smart. 
That was totally God. See, Paul led his life the same way. Romans chapter 15, verse 17. Here's what the scripture says. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Unbelievable statement. Paul actually had pride for his ministry. He is proud of holding fast to his word. He was proud of leaving, um, leading a ministry in such a way that he did not get glory, but God got glory. He was proud that he was making God famous in his area, in the area of influence that he had. Paul had great pride for his ministry. And guess what? That is okay. Verse 6 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything. So here we go. Not about himself. It's about God's glory. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Why? Because God gets glory by accomplishing his will through us. Not making our plans succeed. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. No ministry that is going to last is built to prom will be built to promote a personality. No ministry that will last is there that is built to promote a ministry. It will always be temporal. And so you look at Paul's ministry and you look at his life and, and in, the, in the New Testament he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The fact is Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. And so when you look at his life, you look at all the writings, you look at everything that he said, six, time Paul, six times Paul made a statement. Uh, pretty much like this. It changed often, but pretty much like this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Just follow me as I follow Christ. Another time he said something like, like the, the, the spiritual disciplines that you see in my life. The example that I have set for you. Just be willing to place those things, those spiritual disciplines in your life. Well, when we read that six different times, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, we can look at that and say, well, wait a minute, that sounds kind of arrogant to me. You know, that sounds kind of prideful to me. Not when you correctly understand the definition of humility. See, a lot of times we have a false belief or a false de definition of what humility really is. Humility is not saying, I am worthless. I am no good. Humility is not all the way. The fact is, it's really false humility, always going around and putting yourself down so others will try to build you up. See, humility is not saying, I am worthless. I am no good. Or even if someone tries to compliment you, then you kind of deflect and say, ah, oh, well, you don't know all the mistakes I made. You could have been better and all that. That's not humility. Humility is not going around like you're worthless. Listen, the very fact that Christ died for you means that you're significant. The very fact that Christ went to the cross, offered his body as a sacrifice to you and for me for the forgiveness of sin, means that we're valuable, means that we're significant. The very fact, listen, Luke 15, the whole chapter Jesus talks about this. It's just dedicated to this thought. Luke 15 has the thought of, of being lost, right? Listen, if you were not valuable, if you were not significant, then you would not be considered lost than found. Right? I mean, I mean just flesh through, walk through this with me. Like, like I may, at, at my home, I may misplace a piece of string. I may misplace a... Uh, a paper clip, 
I may misplace some change, but I'm never going to look for it. Why? Because it it's of no value. I'll just go get another one. You only lose something of value. I may misplace a piece of string. I may misplace a paper clip, but I lose a wedding ring. Why? Because it has value. Here a while back, a couple of years back, I, I lost my wedding ring. I was down in the basement. I was watching uh, football, and, and I, I took my ring off for some reason and laid it on a, on a TV tray or that was in front of me, and, and something happened through the Cowboy game, and one thing led to another, and I knocked over the... It's a true story. And I, so I knocked over the, uh, the, 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 the deal, and, and we had just a lot of games like that. And so my, my wedding ring, right, we had a season like that. <laughs> anyway, I won't process out my hidden hurts right now, but when you're a Cowboy fan, you got a lot of them. You kind of feel like the Cubs of baseball, right? <laughs> Wait till next year. So anyway, so back to this. So I, I, I knocked over the TV tray, and my Coke went, and my ring rolled, and, and, uh, and I looked for it. Why? Because the wedding ring had value. And I tore the basement up, and for whatever reason, I could not, it was a weird deal. Either how, it, anyway, I, I couldn't find it. And I, I kept looking, and I kept looking, and so I quit looking. And, and later on that evening, I went back down, and I looked, and, and all of this other stuff. And so, so now then, I went, around, I went around without a wedding ring on. And then it created a little bit of controversy in the church because people are emailing me, stopping me in the hall, saying, hey, you and Karen, okay. Have you separated? We notice you don't have a ring on. So I learned that I could go to eBay, and for $9.95, I could buy a titanium ring. And so, because I didn't, so I bought three of them. I said, you know what? I got a, I got a supply. And so, so, you know what? It had no value to me. So, you know what? I, when I'd lose a titanium ring, I'd say, no worries. I got a pile of them at home. I mean, I won't even look for them. And then the day came that Karen finally heard, got tired of me whining about, couldn't find my wedding ring, and didn't know where it was and all that stuff. She went downstairs. Five minutes later, she came up, and she said, here's your ring. And so, yeah, you guys, you, you all feel that's another hidden hurt. I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. But you know what? I can't find stuff, and she finds it like, bam. I mean, it's a spiritual gift that women have is what I, that's what I really believe. But I'm telling you, the very fact that Jesus says you were lost, and you were found, that you were lost. In fact, there's three different stories. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus begins talking, the lost son, the lost coin, and, and uh, something else that was lost. I forgot. I just lost the idea. But anyway, three, <laughs> three things that were lost. Now it's going to bother me the rest of the message. Lost coin, lost lamp. Thank you so much. Lamb. Yeah, thank you. Okay. And so, thanks, Stephanie. So... So anyway, the thought is, before we get way off track uh, with me, the very fact that you were once lost, he searched for you, he found you, he celebrated, says this, you have value. You're significant. The Bible says that you're valuable. In him, you're totally loved. You're perfect. Not by performance, but by position. You're significant. He has gifted you. See, the Bible teaches that humility is not going around saying how worthless you are. Biblical humility, and we'll we'll see this in Paul's life, biblical humility 
is being able to be honest about your weaknesses and your strengths. It's to be able to be transparent. Let, 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 let me just tell you this. You will never be able to be transparent about your weaknesses until you know who you are in Christ. To your identity is in Christ. It's not in, it's not in your popularity. It's not in what people say about you because it's not in any of that. Biblical humility is being able to be honest about your weaknesses. Because here's the deal. When you're able to be honest about your weaknesses, then you can be honest about your strengths. Humility is understanding that you have weaknesses and that you have strengths. Scripture teaches that when you become a Christian, that God gives you, God gifts you uniquely with spiritual gifts. I wonder how God feels when we walk through life acting like he didn't give us any gifts. See, humility is being honest about weakness and spiritual gifts or spiritual strengths, how he's wired you. See, that's why Paul would say, Follow me as I follow Christ. That's a strength. I mean, that, that was definitely a strength of Paul's life. The spiritual disciplines that you see in my life, just place them in your life. Just follow me as follow Christ. And then, but then at the same time, he'd say, well, wait a minute. I'm the chief among all sinners. My testimony, my story before Christ was pretty dark. It, it was pretty dark and... I, I crucified, I, I martyred Christians, I killed Christians, I did everything I could to stop the Christian church. Paul would say, I don't even really like, the fact is it makes me uncomfortable calling me an apostle because of my weaknesses, because I don't think anyone has sinned more than me, has a darker testimony. Humility is this. It's the ability to be honest about your weaknesses and honest to be about your, your, your strengths. So here's just, a, here's just a key point that we just need to walk through together. And, and in, the, in the last two services, we've just kind of settled in in this, this moment. And here, here's just a thought for you. No one needs more or less grace than anyone else. Sin makes us dead. And death is like this equal opportunity dilemma for every one of us. And so you, you, you'll hear people, right? You'll hear people say, oh, you, you don't know my testimony. You don't know how dark it is. I need more grace than anyone else. Or you'll invite people to church. I've invited people to church in our community. They go, oh, wait a minute, Pastor, you don't understand. If I go to your church, uh, I, I haven't ever gone to church. It's been a long time since I've gone to church, and, and I'm living a pretty immoral life. I'm living a pretty dark life. I'm living a pretty um, horrible life, and I'm ashamed of some things. And, and I'm, I'm worried that if I come to your church that lightning's either going to hit or the roof will fall in. You ever heard that? I've heard that a lot. You want know, me to give you an answer for people that say that? I tell this all the time. That's why we got a poll. Just sit by the poll. <laughs> that didn't say anything about you guys that are currently sitting by the poll. <laughs> I do. I tell them, hey, we got a poll just for you. There's a four-foot beam that runs through that. And so if the roof does come in, I'm pretty certain you'll be safe. I mean, that may be the only thing standing, but you'll be safe. No, seriously, here's what I, I said. Wait a minute. Listen, let me tell you something. 
Nobody needs more or less grace than anyone else. When we start saying stuff like that, we start saying, I'm better than you and I sin less than you. Listen, every one of us needs grace. Every one of us needs the same amount of grace. Every sin is offensive to God. Every one of us doesn't need more or less than the other person. We need the same. There's a saying in Christian churches that has just, just been thinking about and that I have been thinking about that I really wonder if it's helpful or if it's biblical, and it is this, and you may have said it, I've said it, and so um, this is just some of my personal opinion, but it's this. Let me, let me just tell you, it's this. Love the person, hate the sin. And I've really been worrying. There's been a stir in my heart. Is that biblical? Is that helpful to anyone? I don't know how to do that. I'm just telling you as your pastor, I became a Christian in my 20s. I didn't grow up in church. And I came into the church and I started hearing all that. Love the person. Uh, love the person. Hate the sin. And so, I, I mean, there's been this stirring in my heart like, is that really biblical? Because I've tried to do that. I can't do that. Because it sounds so judgmental, right? Because usually when people make that statement... They're making that statement about another person that their sin to them is gross or their sin to them is more socially unacceptable than theirs. And so what it sounds like, it sounds very judgmental, right? Like, like there's no sin in your life. Oh, you know what I do? I just love the person. I just hate the sin. Well, listen, let me tell you something. To the lost person, that lifestyle, that sin, that is who they are. I've tried to do that. I don't know how to do that. I know what the psalmist says. The psalmist says this, My sin is always before me. Not my neighbor's sin. Not that person that I disagree with. The psalmist says this, Every one of us has sin. Every one of us has darkness. And so what the psalmist says, The psalmist says, My sin is always before me. So maybe a better statement, Maybe a better understanding would be this. You hate your sin, I'll hate my sin. And let's love each other. And let's support each other. Let's pray for each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's spur one another on. Let's speak the truth in love to one another. Let's come into community with each other. Let's, let's, let's get in life groups together. Let's open up the word together. Let's pray together. Let's encourage each other. Let's, let's, let's speak the truth in love to one another. Oh, and guess what? Let the Holy Spirit deal with their sin. He'll do a much better job of changing them than you ever will. And I'm telling you, when the church, when we start off with that language, love the person, hate the sin, it is a barrier that you may never overcome in some areas. See, this issue of humility and God's grace is not denying that you don't have any, any, any strengths. It's this issue of understanding that God has gifted you specifically for ministry. The fifth principle is this, an effective ministry is performed with God's power. An effective ministry is performed in God's power. See, Joshua, when you look at Joshua's ministry, and especially with his time with Moses, Joshua didn't just learn that God provides manna. You know what he learned? 
God provides. God provides everything that I need, not, maybe not everything that I want. But Joshua learned that Joshua learned this, a deep need of, for God in his life. Paul learned that as well. Paul understood about this issue of power and ministry. So watch this. Verse 19, Romans chapter 15. By the power of signs and wonders. By the power of the Spirit of God. So, so I've taught you in the New Testament when you read Greek or the, the English translations, what we're reading now, that whenever words are repeated, that is very, very important. That's the way they would, would emphasize a point. They would just repeat words or repeat a saying or repeat a statement. So that word power is very, very important in my Bible. It is circled. It is highlighted because it's very power. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Ilicrum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Not, not my plans, but the gospel of Christ. In other words, what Paul was saying about the signs and wonders, in fact, is Acts fleshes this out. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3 is this. You find the early church. The early church, signs and wonders would follow them. They don't follow signs and wonders. It's not all this emotional stuff, but what you find is a, power, a church that is based on God's word and grace and all this other stuff, and it's operated for his glory that there's power in that church. And so it's not the power of positive attitude, and it's not the power of mental attitude, and it's not even the powers of, of, of self-help. But it's the spiritual power that is done. And the power of God. Listen, the problem with most of our churches today is that there's no power in them. Everything that is happening in those churches can be explained away with a balanced budget or something else. Most churches in America, I'm just giving you statistics, are either plateaued, are in decline. Most churches in America are just a good excuse for a social club. For a group of people just to get together. A biblical church, a biblical ministry is operated for his glory. Where you can see him working and there's power. How do you know that God is working in a church? It's easy. Lives are being changed. People are meeting Christ. People are following him in believer's baptism. And scripture is clear that they do that after they meet Christ, after they're able to make that decision on their own. That it's not something that they do uh, before that or prior to that. That once they come into a relationship with Christ, that the scripture says that they follow him in obedience and baptism. Listen, I'm telling you, there are times that you're going to have to stand for him. The way that you know that God is at work in a ministry is that lives are being changed. Lives are being transformed. People are coming into the church and people are getting saved and meeting Christ and following him in baptism. They're stepping into service and they're learning to serve the church is what, what Joshua said, what, what Paul said. They're coming into life groups and they're sharing with one another, they're praying with one another, they're ministering to one another. They're participating in ministry, they're going on mission trips, they're serving the community. That's how you know. Jesus said this about power, John, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. In other words, he's the power, he's the power source. You stay plugged into him. Whoever abides in me, that's why his word is so you want spiritual power, you got to abide in him. How do you abide in him? You abide in him daily. And you life journal and you open the word and you read it. And you, oh, wait a minute, it's much deeper than just reading the word. Jesus said this, the power of the word is not in just hearing the word. 
It's applying the word to your life. That's where the blessing comes. To where you hear the word, you read the word, and then you take the word and you apply it. That's why life journaling here just works so well for us because there's a part that you apply it. And there's a part that you say, because of what I read, I'm going to do this. I've told you there's a next step for every one of us. And Jesus was saying this, and he said, So abide in me and I in him. It is he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, you can do some things. You can do most things. He says, apart from me. Can't do anything. You can, you can make some things happen or try to, but it won't last. But apart, you want significance apart from me. Can't do nothing. Sixth principle on the effective ministry, effective ministry of plan according to God's purpose. Man, you look at you look at Joshua's life and you look at Paul's life. He pursued God's call to. He pursued God's call to a relationship with him rather than becoming just a religious leader. That's what's so significant in Joshua's life. That was so significant in Apostle Paul's life. And, and you couldn't help but be around them and get that. That they weren't called to just be a religious leader and just go through some ritual or go through the motions. That they have a living, breathing relationship with him. And Joshua followed his convictions, even if he had to stand alone. Listen, I'm telling you, if you follow his call, there are times that you'll have to stand alone. And he had this, this call, and, and Paul had this. Watch this, Romans chapter 15, 20. This, this part of his life verse, this was his life ambition. This is his life goal, and, and this, this passage is very, very personal to me. Watch what Paul says. And thus, I make it my ambition, I make it my goal to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul was saying this. Paul was saying my goal in ministry, my goal in ministry, my goal in, in following him is I believe God has called me to go to a place where he has not been named, go to a place where there's not a lot of Christians, go to a place where there's not a church and plant a church there. Now, here's the strange thing. He's writing to the church in Rome, and he's headed to the church in Rome. Fact is, there's already a church there. Why is he going to Rome? Romans chapter 16, he has deep, deep relationships. See, Paul, at the early part of his ministry, didn't value relationships, didn't value gratitude, didn't value saying thank you. Later in his ministry, Romans 16, he takes an entire chapter and shows gratitude to the people and thankfulness to the people that served with him. And so now he's headed to Rome, but Rome has a church. I thought his goal was to go to a place where there wasn't a church. Verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for, for many years to come to you, I hope to see you passing, oh, here we go, as I go to Spain. Rome wasn't his ultimate destination. Spain was. The gospel had not expanded to there. The gospel wasn't there. There wasn't a church there. But so why did he stop in Rome? That's still the big question. And to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So, so Rome wasn't his ultimate desti destination. Spain was. He wanted to go plant a church where there hadn't been a church to spread the gospel. He wanted to be in an unchurched area. He wanted to reach people. He didn't want to build on anybody else's foundation. And so what Paul was saying is, is 
is I have a spiritual plan and a strategic plan. Listen, let me tell you something. A biblical plan is both spiritual and strategic. It has both. And so what Paul was saying is, my spiritual plan is this. God has called me to go and, and plant a church in a place where there isn't a church. My strategic plan is this. See, the strategic plan is how. The spiritual plan is why. And you can never forget the why and you can never forget the how. And so the how to this plan was this. So I'm going to go through Rome where I have relationships where there's a church. And I'm going to ask you to give out of your tithes and offerings. I'm going to ask you just to give for Spain, for a group of people you have never met and you may never meet this side of heaven. And once I collect the offering, then I'm going to go there and I'm going to plant a church. A biblical plan is both spiritual and strategic. The seventh and last principle of an effective ministry is this. An effective ministry is backed by God's people. Just like, just like Paul when he stopped in Rome. I mean, it, it was backed by, by, by God's people. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. Paul said you can support the church uh, financially and prayerfully. Watch this. at the, Verse 25. At the present time, however, I'm going to Jerusalem and bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owed it to them. For the Gentiles had come to share in the spiritual blessings, they'd also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I've completed this and have delivered it to them, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. In other words, I believe this. I believe you're going to do the right thing. I believe you're going to understand that, that God's people back it, back his plans financially and prayerfully. And a genuine ministry, listen, a genuine ministry is always supported by God's people. Verse 30, and I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. In other words, I need your prayers. Every one of us needs prayers. That's why a ministry partner is a legitimate biblical term. We don't call anybody here a volunteer. We don't really believe in volunteers. You know what we believe in? We believe what the Scripture teaches, and that is this, that we partner in ministry together. We learn to partner and serve together and worship together and to reach this community together. And so Paul is talking, and in this issue, of Paul had prayer partners. See, prayer partners are a very legitimate term. It's a biblical term. We weren't the first church to have prayer partners that meet with people and pray for them and encourage them. Fact is, all the way through, through the book of Philippians, you find where Paul constantly is saying, partner with me in prayer and partner with me in prayer and pray for me about this and pray for Jerusalem and pray for, for finances and pray for going to Spain. And all of, listen, every one of us needs prayer, right? I need prayer and you need prayer. We need people around us that believe the best in us, that operate with God's grace that understands that nobody needs more or less of God's grace. We all need His grace, and we all need forgiveness. And understand that we operate for His glory, and we steward the influence that God has given us, and we steward it well. Your life is about stewardship. And a lot of times when we talk about stewardship, people start pushing back, oh, wait a minute, that's where they talk about money. Listen, stewardship of finance is only part of it. Do you realize there's the stewardship of your time, there's a stewardship of the influence that God has given you. And the Bible teaches when you steward those things well, he blesses you and he will enlarge your area of influence. So there's, there's a stewardship of time, 
There's a stewardship of, of influence. There's a stewardship of, of finances. And there's a stewardship of the spiritual gifts that he has given you. And that you steward them through the ministry of the local church. And you understand your weaknesses and your strengths and how he's gifted you.